0: For those who don't know me, I am Jeff, as John just said. So watching online or here in the room. Uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, bit of a shout out to Troy and Edwina and Taylor if you're if you're watching now or, or later. Uh, hope you're having a restful and relaxing time in the northern New South Wales Sun and Surf. And, uh, yeah, we we look forward to you, you being back and continuing your ministry among us. Uh, let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just acknowledge your presence with us this morning. We welcome you. We ask you to, to enable us to pay attention to you today. That as we open the scriptures that we will see and hear what you want us to see and hear. We ask that you give us humble hearts to respond to you in the way that you call us to. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Demographers tend to to, um, group the people they study into generations. Now, you've probably heard that Excuse me, you've probably heard the expression baby boomers, right? That's a description of a generation of people who grew up or who were born post-war during the post-war baby boom. Um, So between about 1945 and 1965, um, if you're in that group, you're a baby boomer. Uh, Then it was followed by Generation X. So from round about 1965 through to 1980, Uh, The the dates vary a little bit depending on who you read. Uh, And then you've got Generation Y, or the Millennials, um, from 1980 through to about 2000. Uh, Now, we do have, looking around, a bit of a smattering of baby boomers with us this morning. And, you know, I've got to put my hand up and say, yeah, I'm in that group, probably in the first half of that group as well. you probably don't want to know this, but baby boomers are also described as the me generation. Yep, the me generation. Because, really, it's been all about me. Right? So, in the 1960s, it was about me experiencing things, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. That was the sort of focus of the me generation in the 60s. And then the, um, the anti-establishment hippie dropouts of the 1960s became the wealth-hoarding, power-hungry, <laughs> yuppie establishment of the 1970s and 80s. And then, of course, the Generation Xs want everything that, that the baby boomers have got. Um, and Look, I shouldn't just point the, the finger at baby boomers. Generation Y, the millennials have been described as the me, me, me generation. (laughs) Let me give you the enduring caricature of a millennial. So, phone on reverse. I've got to do it this way because you have to be behind me. A flick of the hair. And there we go. And then, um, yeah, I forgot the pout. I apologise. And then, of course, I post that on Facebook. This is me preaching in church. Click, this is me at the football. Click, this is me watching the cricket. Click, this is me getting out of bed in the morning. Click, this is me filling my tank up with petrol. Click, this is me having an ice cream. And and while I'm trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye, I really need to take the plank out of my own because I have done some of those things. Um, Look, to be perfectly honest, I don't think that any one generation over another has a mortgage on a me culture. I think the me culture permeates all ages and all levels of of our society and culture, particularly Western culture I'm talking about now. It's all about me, right? Um, And advertisements are actually playing to this sort of me culture. Uh, They are trying to convince us to buy things that we didn't know we needed or wanted until we saw the ad. And then we job hop in the hope of finding a better paid or a more important job. We partner hop in the hope of finding someone who really meets my needs. We church hop in the hope of finding a church that suits me. And, and let's be honest, at times Jesus is even marketed as uh, what he brings to me, what he adds to my life. It's, it's all about me. I determine who I am. I determine what I do, and I decide what I want in life. Well, having put our society under the microscope, let me read the way that James puts the church to which he is writing under the microscope. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Unless James is writing hypothetically, and I don't see any evidence that he's doing that, the me culture had infiltrated the church To which James was writing. And for many in that church it was all about me. My pleasures. The word that James uses uh, for pleasure is the Greek word air, From which we get the English word hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure above all else or at least the absence of pain at the very least, but the pursuit of pleasure above all else. And, and by extension, the hedonist, the true hedonist, is one who thinks that the, the morality of an action, in other words, whether an action is right or wrong, is determined by whether it brings me pleasure or not. And so in the church to which James was writing, in order to get what I want, it is okay to have an argument with you. Right? It is okay to fight with you. It is okay to kill you. Folks, this is the church. It is the church. If it wasn't there in black and white, I would shake my head in disbelief. That this was going on, there was so much about me that they would treat each other that way. Contrast that to the kind of community that God says he wants to see us involved in. And you only got to go back to the last verses of the previous chapter to read about it. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure Then peace loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What a difference! What a difference! is that the kind of community that God wants us to experience, and you really got to ask, how did a church get so far from that that they were arguing and fighting and killing each other to get what they wanted? The kind of community that God wants is one that is is filled with peace, consideration, submissiveness, mercy, impartiality, And so on. Perhaps a real question that we ought to ask is, in in a culture that is dedicated to me, in a me culture, how do I as a Christian and how do we as a community of faith become the kind of community that God wants us to be? How do we get from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, to chapter 3, verses 17 and 18? It seems to me that the key to that is humility. Actually, maybe I should rephrase that, because the, the theme of this series is don't just sit there, do something. So we don't want it simply to be a theological discussion of the word humility. The key to it is in me being willing to humble myself. James says in uh, verse 6, God opposes the proud, he's quoting from scripture, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So the invitation is for me to humble myself, in order to foster the kind of community that God's inviting us into. Now, the concept of humbling ourselves, that actually has two components to it. And the first of those components is that we choose to humble ourselves before God. So verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord... And he will lift you up. Well, that certainly reinforces the point that I'm making. Humble yourselves before the Lord. It doesn't actually help us know what being humble before the Lord is really about. And perhaps for that, we need to go to a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just to make the point two men, one of them, the Pharisee, basically he brings everything that he thinks is good about himself to God and says, God, look how awesome I am. You owe me, you owe me. And the tax collector recognised that he had nothing that he could bring to God, but threw himself totally and utterly on God and God's mercy and grace. He recognised that anything and everything must come from God, that he was dependent on God for all things, for life, for forgiveness, for provision. So let's start with that as a concept of what humbling ourselves before God's about, a willingness to depend on God for all things. I've got nothing, God, I'm dependent on you. And so James can say, back up in uh, verse uh, Two, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So when we come before God with wrong motives, simply to use what we get to further our own ends, to, to, to experience our own pleasure and to get ahead in life, when we come to God in that Uh, manner we're basically standing in the shoes of the Pharisee saying God look how awesome I am you owe me something. The invitation from God is to humble ourselves before him and say God I am depending on you for what you know that I need. Now I wonder if you can see how this liberates us from the me contest see I am no longer saying I want what you want and I'm prepared to trample over you in order to get it now I am saying God I am depending on you to provide for me what you know I need But we need to take this idea of humbling ourselves before God a little step further. Humbling ourselves before God actually means pursuing God above anyone else and everything else that the world offers us. You adulterous people, says James, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You know, in our society and culture today, friendship comes at the click of a button. You get an invitation on Facebook, right? I want you to be my friend. And there are two buttons, accept or deny, or whatever the other button is. <coughs> yes, look, there, Don Champion's inviting me to be his friend. I will click the accept button. And, and then Bertha Brown's inviting me to... Be, well, I don't know Bertha Brown, but, hey, I'll click the accept button anyway because that gives me one extra <coughs> friend on Facebook and makes up 1,200 friends for me on Facebook. <laughs> We can be friends without knowing people. And we can be friends without having to do anything except maybe every now and again clicking the like button on one of their posts. Well, I have news for us. Friendship with God does not take place on a Facebook page. Friendship with God is all in. It is all about God. It is all about my passionate pursuit of God and the things that he wants me to do and be in life. Friendship with God is me saying to God, God, you tell me what you want me to do. You tell me where you want me to go. You tell me how you want me to live my life. And so James wraps up. Uh, this chapter, by saying this. Listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Uh, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will... We will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Humbling ourselves before God is being willing to pursue God before anything else. And to say to God, it is all about you. And again, I hope you can see how this liberates us from the me culture. In fact, we're actually saying I don't want to be part of the me culture because I no longer want to pursue the things that this world offers. I want to pursue God and what God is asking of me in life. Now, the second component of humbling ourselves is the choice to humble ourselves before others. So back in uh, chapter 3, verse 13... Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Humbling ourselves before others is being willing in some way to do good, compassionate, gracious things for other people. Perhaps we can go to uh, Philippians chapter 2 as a classic passage where humility before others is discussed. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So James is telling us that the me culture is about sort of getting in front of other people, pushing people out of the way in order to get to the front of the queue. Lorraine and I, um, some years ago, were attending Pathways Church at Pendle Hill. And every Thursday night, the church had a community dinner, community meal. And we get quite a number of people from the local community come in. And it was like the, the meal was prepared in the kitchen and then served at the servery. Now, I remember this one night, I remember it very clearly. The image is just sort of baked into the back of my, my memory. Uh, Bruce Pedersen, who was the pastor, sort of made the announcement that the dinner was ready and we could line up to get, get our meal. And about, about 15 to 20 children come teenagers all rushed together to, to try and line up. at at the servery to get their meal, pushing each other out of the way, shoving in, pulling and pushing each other, just to try to get to the front of the queue to get their meal first or to be at, at least as close to the front of the queue as was humanly possible. Paul tells us that true humility doesn't push people aside to get ahead of them. True humility actually steps aside in order to promote the interests of the other person. True humility is a willingness to serve other people and put their needs ahead of our own. I actually love the way those verses are expressed in the message version of the New Testament. It says this, Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I confess that I am a huge fan of the Bugs Bunny Show. I got a yes from John. Okay. (laughs) Right. Uh, There are a couple of little characters on the Bugs Bunny Show. Two very polite gophers named Mac and Tosh. If you've seen the Bugs Bunny show, those that picture should um, remind you of who I'm talking about. One enduring image for me in a Mac and Tosh cartoon is of the two of them about to walk through a door. And Mac steps aside and he says to Tosh, You first. And Tosh steps aside and said, Oh, no, no, you first. And Mac steps back and he says, No, 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 I insist after you. And Tosh says, No, no, I insist. After you, (coughs) humbling ourselves is the willingness to step back and say to the people around us, after you, you first. It is the willingness to put the interests of others ahead of ourselves and to serve them in order to see their needs met. So Jesus said at uh, the end of one of his little sessions of teaching, those of you, can we have that verse up please? Yep. The greatest of you among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The greatest of you will be your servant. That's what humility is about. Being willing to serve others, putting their interests ahead of ourselves. I have to say um, that if I could have chosen the songs that we were going to sing in this morning's service, I probably couldn't have chosen better. Because what I I saw in those songs was expressions of humility, particularly humility before God. Jesus be the centre. Right? Jesus be the centre. Speaking of songs, when I was in uh, Sunday school many, many, many years ago, uh, we used to sing this little chorus it went to the tune of Jingle Bells. J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this must surely mean Jesus first, yourself last and others in between. Well, cute little song, but really it actually expresses what humbling ourselves is all about. It is a willingness to put God first, to pursue God above anyone and everything else, and to totally and utterly depend on God for all things. And then the willingness to put others ahead of ourselves. Seeking to serve them and to pursue their interests ahead of our own. And that is the pathway to becoming the kind of peaceful, compassionate, merciful, gracious and loving community that God wants us to be. I suppose we have to recognise that the, the first step in that process is actually about pursuing God, pursuing Jesus above all else. And so my question to you is, is that something that is on your agenda? Are you following Jesus? Do you trust in Jesus as your Saviour and Lord? Now, if that's not a question you can answer yes to, then I invite you to consider that, whether you're here in this room or watching online. Because really, it's only then, particularly with the living presence of Jesus in us through his Holy Spirit, that we can actually make the choices and do the things that he wants us to do. Like humbling myself is not something that comes naturally. Human nature is such that we want to put ourselves first. We want to be the centre of attention. Humbling ourselves can only come through the indwelling presence of Jesus. Look, perhaps there are, there's something there that you would like to talk about or you would like prayer for. And I'd invite you to come and have a, have a conversation at the conclusion of the service or reach out to us if you're online. Um, it may be that you are struggling with something in your life, uh, that you really need to seek God's provision. You really need to depend on God to, to get you through that, to provide what you need. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you about that. It may even be that you've, be that you've been experiencing conflict with somebody and you recognise that you need to pursue reconciliation and forgiveness. And we'd love to pray with you about that too. So when the service is finished, um, we're going to go and have a cup of of tea or coffee. Um, If you'd like to have a conversation, come and see me. I'm sure John, you'd be happy to uh, have a chat with people. But uh, yeah, we just invite you into that space um, for for conversation and for prayer. I'm going to pray with you now while our worship team comes to uh, lead us in a final song. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who can be trusted, that we can entrust ourselves to you, knowing that you are above all, you are the goal of all. We honour you. We want to go on honouring you by pursuing you ahead of all else and having been filled with your Holy Spirit, to be able to seek, uh, to show grace and mercy and compassion and love towards the people around us. Lord, we invite you to fill us and to make us all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.